Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with Icy, or welcome if this is your first time in these parts. With the dawning of spring in the Northern Hemisphere, and it really does feel like it's been a long time coming this year, we've been looking at the folklore of insects. So we did bees, we've done butterflies, because both of them are finally out and about, doing the pollinating thing. We've looked at dragonflies, and last week we looked at a beloved garden critter, the ladybird. I was quite surprised while I was doing that post to discover that ladybirds are actually beetles. So this week we're going to look at beetles in folklore, and that's largely because I figured nobody would want to look at photos of spiders on my blog. So we're looking at beetles, obviously not the beetles, because that would be a really, really peculiar topic for a folklore blog. But the superstitions do abound about beetles, and some people think that a black beetle crossing your path meant that you'd see rain the next day. This is probably a little bit like those ones where when you see an insect it means X. It's probably because they're responding to atmospheric conditions that we just can't detect or can't interpret. But obviously it's nice to put them in a superstition because it's easier to repackage that information for other people. Now there are thousands, and I do mean thousands, of species of beetle. And you've got everything from fireflies, there's gold beetles, there's forest beetles, there's like just too many to choose from. So because we've only got about 15 minutes and you've presumably got better things to do, I've decided to narrow down what we're going to look at. So we're going to look at the scarab beetle, the stag beetle and the death watch beetle. Mostly because the death watch beetle has a really cool name. So anyway, we're going to get cracking because obviously, you know, we want to get on with the show. So we're going to start off with scarab beetles. Now there's actually about 30,000 species of scarab across the world. Ladybirds actually fall into this particular family apparently. And scarabs are often very brightly coloured and they've got a sort of metallic sheen to their wings. And some scarabs, like the Japanese beetle, eat plants. But other scarabs are notable for being quite great recyclers. And they eat whatever carrion, rotting plants or dung that they come across. Now that does sound absolutely disgusting, eating dung, but obviously it's quite a good way of keeping the desert and other parts of the planet clean. So when you get animals like hyenas and other things that are scavengers and eat things that are rotting, we always go, ugh. But yeah, it's it's a nice way of keeping infection away and all that kind of lovely stuff that they do for us. So dung beetles were considered sacred in ancient Egypt. There was a belief that Ra, the sun god, moved across the sky during the day and he saw a boat and that's why the, the, the sun moved across the sky. And in the same way, dung beetles roll dung up into a ball and then roll it to wherever they need it to go. It makes their food portable and it also gives them somewhere to lay their eggs. So when the eggs hatch into larvae, the larvae are then surrounded by food, which is again quite a, a neat little concept when you think about it. But because the larvae then hatched out of dung, People saw the scarab as a symbol of regeneration. So when Ra took the form of the rising sun, he became the god Kepri. Now, you may have seen various Egyptian figures where they've got a human body and then an animal head. So you've got Bast has a head of a cat, or Thoth has the head of an ibis. Kepri actually had a head that was just shaped like a scarab beetle, 
so the depictions of him look really peculiar because it's not the head of a dung beetle his whole head is a dung beetle very 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 unusual but anyway he rolled the sun across the sky and at sunset he then carried the sun through the underworld before reappearing at dawn to do it all over again the next day so because of that the scarab often represents life cycles new beginnings or creation the ancients also thought that the scarab only had a male gender and that he would deposit his seed shall we say in the dung ball and then it spontaneously generated these larvae they didn't realize that there was a female involved so the idea that you know these scarabs could reproduce using just a dung ball seemed quite miraculous and because capri created himself out of nothing he was then also linked with the scarab you see scarabs on amulets they often appear on seals or rings and they go back as far as the sixth dynasty Amenhotep III used a range of scarabs to celebrate events during his reign and from about 1795 BC you start seeing winged scarabs made out of blue faience which is sort of that ceramic type material that they have as funerary amulets and there is a possibility that these amulets were there to drive away evil spirits. Now the scarab that was placed over the heart of the mummy often carried chapter 30b of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Now, I know films like The Mummy and so on always have the Book of the Dead as this thing where you recite a spell and you can bring the dead back to life. That's actually not what it was. The Egyptian Book of the Dead was essentially a list of spells that the dead had to recite as they went through the underworld and it was kind of more of a Google Maps of the underworld, but it also had kind of cheat codes in it so that you could then avoid horrible traps and pitfalls and other things that you might encounter in the underworld. The really expensive ones were personalised, so they actually had your name written into them as they were created. You could also apparently get hold of ones which had like a gap, and then somebody would sort of fill in the blank with your name, or you could sort of buy like cheap pre-made ones, and it was all basically designed to help you navigate the afterlife. So this particular spell was there to make sure that the heart didn't confess all of your sins when it was weighed against a feather of truth. So that's when you see these big images of the heart on one side of a pair of scales and a feather on the other. If your heart was heavier, you basically got eaten by the devourer and consigned to basically oblivion. If it was sort of balanced, then you got to go on into the afterlife. So obviously one way of of making sure that you got to go into the afterlife was making sure that your heart didn't say, oh, by the way, this person did all these horrible things. And that's what that spell basically stopped the heart from doing. But we're going to quickly move away from Egypt for a second because scarabs aren't just important in ancient Egypt. In Gothland, which obviously is sort of the Germanic region of Europe, dung beetles were also called Thor's bug and they were sacred to Thor. So if you found one stuck on its back and obviously they can't roll over and then righted it, you would actually purge yourself of sin. And in the 1600s, the Jesuit Athanasius Kircher thought that the scarab was actually important to alchemy. So alchemists, if you've never come across them before, and you really should look into them because they're absolutely bonkers, thought that the philosopher's stone could turn metals, like really base metals like lead and iron and so on, into gold. And to make such a stone, you needed the primer materia, and Kircher actually believed that the scarab was one of the primer materia candidates. And I did come across a 1612 alchemical dictionary which assigned the name dung to the primer materia, so Kershaw might not actually have been that far off after all. Now we're going to go from the scarab to the death watch beetle. They do sound like they should be full of folklore with a name like that. 
But their name actually comes from a really quite prosaic thing. So they often live in wood because they're wood boring beetles and they make a tapping sound because they make a hole and they make this tapping noise to find a mate, which quite frankly is still better than Tinder. And people in days gone by would hold vigils at the bedside of the dead or dying because people didn't want to die alone. And this ticking that people could then hear became synonymous with death. And because another word for vigil is watch, hence we get death watch. So most people thought that the beetle became a death omen. In Lancashire, it spelled death if the beetle only tapped three times. Some people thought the ticking was that of time itself, so specifically how much the dying person had left. And other people thought it was the Grim Reaper tapping his fingers while he waited before he could take the soul away. There, was, there is some discussion that this concept actually inspired Edgar Allan Poe in his 1843 short story, The Telltale Heart. I actually discussed this book in my co-authored book, Gothic Dissections, A Body and Parts in Film and Literature, if anyone's interested. And Johnny Riley actually drew a parallel between the apparent ticking of the dead man's heart under the floor and the sound of the Death Watch beetle. If you haven't read The Telltale Heart, there's actually an animated version narrated by James Mason on YouTube. Just watch that. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's only about 11 minutes long. It's absolutely brilliant. John Keats actually mentioned the Death Watch tick in Endymion, his 1818 poem, and it even pops up again in Mark Twain's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer in 1876. So this is another example of folklore appearing in popular culture in whatever form that might take. Now obviously this all sounds quite badass and like, ooh, death's tapping his fingers and all that kind of jazz, but the beetles basically are just banging their head inside the hole that they've made in wood and they actually caused damage in Westminster Abbey's Jerusalem Chamber, which had to be repaired in the 1950s because they took a liking to the wooden roof. So they obviously don't care where they are. And then from that, we're going to go on to stag beetles. So if you've ever seen stag beetles, they've got these huge antlers. So as you might imagine, people then associated it with the devil because, you know, they've both got horns. And some thought that they actually used those antlers to carry burning coals. And in Germany, people believed that they caused fires by carrying these coals into houses. Quite where they got the coals from, I'm not sure, but there we go. In the New Forest in England, people called the stag beetle the devil's imp. And people thought it actually arrived to ruin corn harvests, so people would stone the beetles when they saw them, which seems a bit harsh. And other beliefs were that the stag beetle could actually summon lightning, which just sounds amazing. And in Germany, they were called Donnerschröter or thunder spreader. And these again set up links between Thor and the stag beetle, which does show that there's perhaps some confusion in the original link between Thor and the scarab, unless Thor was just a big fan of beetles, I don't know. Evidence also suggests that this was a beetle that Pliny talked about in quite a lot of his writing, and one particularly weird belief was that if you hung a stag beetle around a child's neck it would actually protect them against a range of maladies. One would assume the beetle would be dead at the time. Otherwise, that would be a really, really peculiar thing to be wearing. Pliny also recommended these beetles to ward off egg or tendon problems, and it would also help children retain their urine. So I can only assume that that means that it would stop them bedwetting and so on. There is another thing where if you made an infusion out of them with oil and then poured it into your ear, it would fix ear problems, although I just think that sounds gross. It wasn't all bad for the stag beetle, however, and this is one thing that you find a lot in folklore. Something will be really good in one country and then it'll be like a, an omen of death in another. 
and in this case actually carrying a stag beetle in your pocket in northern France could bring you wealth or make it more likely that you would win the lottery. In a Romanian belief said that you should wear the horns of the stag beetle to ward off the evil eye and women sometimes actually braided them into their hair as a, as a sort of a charm. So there you have it. We've got scarab beetles rolling the sun across the sky. We've got death watch beetles letting you know when your time is almost up. And we've got stag beetles both carrying burning coals and warding off illness. I wonder if John, Paul, George and Ringo knew all of this when they chose their band name. Now that's it for this week's episode. As ever, you can find all of the images and links and so on on the actual blog post that this is for and that's www.icsedgwick.com forward slash beetles hyphen folklore Sedgwick only has one E, I should point that out and if you enjoy these podcasts please think about supporting me on Patreon for one dollar a month you can support all of the content that I put out which basically just means that I can keep creating more of it next month we're going to move on to the folklore of fairies because June is the month when we have Midsummer, and obviously Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare really associates the time with fairies. If you've got any requests for anything specific to fairies, please feel free to bung me an email at icy at icysedgwick.com, grab me on Twitter where I'm just at icysedgwick, or leave a comment on the Beatles blog post, whatever you want, and just say what it is that you'd like to hear and I'll try and accommodate that. But otherwise, I hope you have an absolutely fab week ahead and I will chat to you soon. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!